Hello, everyone. I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and welcome to this week's episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. Today, we're not going to be uh, having our typical discussion, if you will, where it's kind of like a college course format, and I'm sharing with you main topic and then giving you a whole bunch of uh, supporting pieces of state law or the U.S. or state constitutions. Uh, we will be talking about various parts of uh, state constitutions and probably some U.S. constitutional stuff in there too. But today is a special day because today's segment is an interview. Now, the great thing about this for you is that uh, it's it's unscripted in, in the fact that um, Ryan has no idea what I'm going to ask him about. And that's okay, because I trust that he's going to be able to uh, figure out what his thoughts are on these issues. And he's been going uh, statewide to numerous events, talking to people, answering their questions. And uh, certainly with how long he's known me, he could probably imagine what some of the questions are that I would be asking of him. But I didn't even know exactly which questions I would be asking until just a little bit ago, because all of a sudden a whole bunch of ideas started coming to me that I thought we should cover. So with that being said, uh, like I said, I'm Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry, and I welcome you to joining us today on our, let's see, I think it's week 18 uh, episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. And uh, today we're going to get um, a little bit of background about why we're covering our topic and then go ahead and introduce our special guest today. So uh, in the true false polls that we posted earlier this morning, they're on virtually all of our social media platforms, at least the ones that allow polls and that kind of thing. Uh, we have a true or false question. Of course, I had to make it a little bit more interesting and, and unusual compared to our normal true or false questions. But uh, since it's Tuesday's true or false, I asked uh, this time, true or false, every state has an election for the office of governor this year in 2022. This time, instead of just having one true and one false answer, I had four options. True, all states have elections for governor this year. False. Most states have elections for governor this year, but not all states. False. Only a few states have elections for governor this year. Or false. No states have elections for governor this year. That is only done in the presidential election years. Now, I still want you to go out there and provide your answer on the poll, but if you haven't answered already and you're still listening now, you're about to get the cheat uh, sheet option here. So uh, we're going to fast forward and jump to the answer, which is false. Most states, but not all, have elections for governor this year. In fact, there are currently 20 Republican um, uh, governor seats that are up for election this year and uh, 16 current Democrat governor seats that are up for election this year. So it's important all across the country that people are paying attention, even if you're in one of those states that doesn't have a gubernatorial election this year. What happens around the rest of the country uh, in their own governor elections is definitely going to impact you in your state. So please make sure you're paying attention to these races. How many times is the word governor in the U.S. Constitution? 
wonder if anybody knows this. Uh, I'm going to jump over to comments. I can only see uh, from YouTube and Facebook right now. Uh, Lori is my go-between on who's commenting on Rumble. So uh, at any rate, if any of you know, how many times uh, is the word governor written into the U.S. Constitution? All right. We have Elizabeth on Facebook saying zero, question mark. And uh, the answer, I don't see anybody else, but guess what? I'm going to blow this for you. Yes, that is correct. Elizabeth on Facebook got it right. It is zero times. All right. And Stephanie had already been typing that on YouTube. Zero times is the word governor written into the U.S. Constitution. Does that mean governor's uh, elections and the position of governor are not important or don't have any constitutional significance? Absolutely not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having the discussion on today's episode. Now, Compare that to the Michigan Constitution. Anybody want to throw out a guess about uh, whether the word governor is in the Michigan Constitution and how many times it might be in there? Anybody? Elizabeth, Stephanie, anybody else? Uh, it's something I hadn't even thought about myself, but uh, the answer surprised me a little bit. So uh, I'm going to see if we get uh, anybody thinking and typing. All right, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Um, wrote zero on Facebook and Stephanie on YouTube wrote several. Uh, I would say uh, you both are wrong in the fact that uh, it's not zero. And I would consider it a lot more than several. I would consider this a lot or many. Uh, it is 139. 139 times that the word governor is written into the Michigan state constitution. And if you're listening from a state outside of Michigan, I guarantee you the word governor is probably in your state constitution quite a few times as well. Why? Because it's extremely important. But before we get into all that, I do want to introduce you to the specific governor candidate or gubernatorial candidate for 2022 in Michigan. So uh, bear with me here. I'm not the best at all these buttons and gadgets and things. After all, I'm an attorney, not a computer scientist like my father. So uh, here we go. All right. If everybody could please give a nice warm welcome to Ryan Kelly. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing today? Doing well, Catherine. Good to see you. It's nice to see you too. Uh, your background is much better than mine currently is, but I will say I still love my background that I had in my Hudsonville house. <laughs> Good. How is Florida? Doing well for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Our house is quite a bit smaller uh, for the same cost or more, but uh, it takes me five minutes to leave my front door and walk onto the sand at the beach. So it's a pretty good trade. And uh, it's cloudy here today, but it's going to be like 84. And from what I hear, I still listen to Joy 99, a West Michigan Christian music station. I hear it is going to be only in the maybe 53 degree range and cloudy all day today. So and raining all day today. So is that uh, what's happening in Allendale? It seems about accurate. Yeah, I'm at my office right now in Grand Rapids. And that's what's going on outside here, I suppose. Spring may, may show up one day, right? We've had nothing but uh, cold weather, lots of rain, and uh, we're ready for some warm weather around here, that's for sure. Well, uh, please remember that uh, you're more than welcome to come and visit me. Obviously, you probably won't be taking any of those vacations, at least until you get through an August primary, I understand, but... Um, but uh, don't forget that. And all the rest of you out there, hey, my Michigan friends and family, 
I hope you're going to come visit us. Not enough of you have come down yet. So, uh, but speaking of friends and family, Ryan, um, could you uh, very briefly, let's say in, in uh, 20 seconds or less, how would you describe the, uh, I'll say your other half, dare I say your better half, who she and uh, give me something about her. I'm married to an amazing lady. Her name's Tabitha. We have six kids with each other. She runs a business. She homeschools the kids. Uh, incredible woman. I'm very, very lucky to be married to her. Amazing wife. Yes, uh, she is pretty awesome. Uh, I think the last time I ran into her was at, um, what is it, Rebounders in Jenison. And I, oh, it yeah. didn't even dawn on me that it was her until later. And I went, Oh crap, I should have said hi. It's just I'm so used to seeing faces that I know <laughs> without putting uh, the face to the name and all the rest. So, uh, well, please say hello to her from me. Um, and you mentioned kids. So, uh, how many children did you have as of March 2020? March 2020. When all this started? Four. That's what I was thinking. So since all the COVID craziness began, you have had to bring two additional children into this chaos that we have. Uh, so if people were to say, I was trying to figure out a way to tee up a question, but I'm just going to put it this way to our uh, viewers today. If you're wondering why Ryan might be wanting to make a difference or run for governor or, you know, what his main um, inspiration for doing something like this would be, before I even ask him anything like that, let's just think about that. I have four kids and uh, he's got more than I do. So my kids, I don't even live in Michigan anymore, but two of my kids still live there. Um, my parents still live there. Half of my siblings still live there. My grandmother still lives there. Most of my in-laws still live there. So um, Michigan is very important to me. I was born there, you, you name it. Uh, for Ryan, it's not only Ryan and his wife living there, but like he said, he's got six kids and two of whom were born once we already started to see this most crazy, insane government uh, ridiculousness that we've ever seen in our nation's history. Uh, so I'm just going to say, out there, just think about that. Just think about he's fighting for the rights of his children, his own children, to be able to grow up in a free nation, in a free state. Uh, so anyway, um, so community, can you uh, give me an idea about, uh, you're from Allendale, right? I live in Allendale for the last two and a half years, grew up in West Michigan, one town over, been here most of my life, right? Moved here when I was five. So, you know, I'm not some plant that's moved in from some other state, you know, here you go, run for office. There's a lot of that going on. And that's a common question people want to ask me, you know, did I grow up in Michigan? And what did my family do? What did my parents do for a living? That's another common question because people are sick of the same old political backgrounds, generational politics uh, that continues to plague our state and our country. So. Yeah, West Michigan uh, is my home. I've been here my whole life, K through 12 elementary in Jenison. And uh, now, now we got the big family doing the same. Oh, I didn't realize that you're actually from Jenison. Okay. Well, 
all the more interesting since that's the area that I came from. Uh, most of our viewers right now probably know that until I left Michigan, I was one of the Georgetown Township trustees, which Jenison doesn't ex officially exist as a community, but uh, that it falls under Georgetown Township. Yep. So great. Uh, let's see. So uh, Faith, uh, if you could tell me in you know, 20 seconds uh, or so, uh, are you a man of faith? If so, what does that generally in the bigger scope of things mean to you? When we were up in Gaylord just the other day, did an event for a bunch of uh, people that showed up there. Um, great crowd. My son came up and I asked him, I said, hey, Vincent, he's my oldest son. I said, what's the most important thing in the world? And he said, God, what's the number two thing? Family. Number three, country. All right. You can go ahead and exit the stage now. So I, uh, I'm a traditional Catholic, uh, definitely man of faith. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And that, that is the, the guiding light for all the things that I do in my life, my marriage, with my kids. Um, and so there's probably about your 20 seconds, right? So not only, you know, the words, but, you know, the story there with Vince to, to follow up. Everybody loved it, too. They were all cheering. And that's, that's what my kids know, the three most important things there. Awesome. I was just checking to see if we had any... Good questions so far. I guess somebody was upset that we started to talk about the weather. I, I actually had to try hard to get some small talk in there because usually I jump in and I go full speed ahead in everything in life. So I uh, guess somebody else didn't want that, but oh well, it is what it is. So, um, and career. So you mentioned you're at your office. Uh, you own your own business. Is that right? I own a real estate firm. I've been in real estate roughly. 12 years in various capacities, but small business owner, West Michigan based, sold properties all over the state, residential, industrial, commercial. We've opened up many offices with another company statewide. And um, so various capac uh, capacities in the real estate industry, but now it's pretty much run for governor because if you want to be serious about doing something like this, you're not spending much if any time uh, working a business, right? Which is again, where my amazing wife comes in uh, her business has just skyrocketed since we've announced all of this. So that was another affirmation there for us that the doors keep opening and we continue down this path. Awesome. Uh, so very quickly, um, do you remember the first day we ever met in person? It's kind of a, a big day in, in my book. Uh, do you remember what date that was? It was April 30th, 2020, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And, and like so... again. How did we, uh, could, could you just tell people um, pretty much how we met and, and how that, how I uh, came to know you? Yeah, it's um, a great day uh, in, in Michigan history and really in, in the fight for freedom, because that's the day that you and I and many other people showed up at the Capitol building. Uh, and we were there to encourage the Senate to vote no on extending Gretchen Whitmer's declaration, emergen uh, emergency declaration. Uh, and we were there to be a voice of hope, a voice of, uh, of common sense for Michigan and for the nation. And uh, so you gave a, a great speech, a fire speech that day and had everybody fired up. And so many people showed up on a rainy day as well, right? We were talking about weather. It was raining that day. We had that canopy up above us, but people still stood there because, you know, we saw our constitutionally protected God-given rights being stripped out from us. But People like you and I said, sorry, we have God-given rights, not Gretchen-given rights. And we showed up anyway. 
and and we got our voices heard. And so that that day launched a, a lot of amazing things that happened around Michigan and around the nation to stand up for freedom. Yeah, for us both, I have to say that uh, I had never done any live videos before that day. I had never spoken to any huge crowds in my whole life before that day. So April 30th, um, just before I went on stage, I, uh, which I, I, I only knew I was speaking until about 36 hours before uh, we went on stage. And uh, that wasn't a whole lot of time to put something together. But uh, as I was getting ready to uh, go up on stage, I felt like I was going to throw up. So I went over to two ladies from West Michigan that I know, Bernadette, or no, it wasn't Bernadette. It was um, uh, Dave Ajima, uh, his wife, Barb uh, Ajima, and um, um, uh, Deborah Van Dyke. I happen to know them from when I ran for state rep a while back. And I just said, hey, ladies, I'm having a hard time here. I'm supposed to talk next. And I think I'm going to pass out and throw up all in one. <laughs> so they prayed over me and I was able to get up there and did not collapse or uh, freak out too badly. In fact, uh, many people know that after my speech, we had some big issues going on inside, which uh, happened to make it to national news. But um, anyway, that's the start of of many things, uh, a lot of people that were involved in the American Patriot Council and and the planning on uh, various things, because that wasn't the only rally we were working on. Uh, I believe the very next one we did was May 18th at Rosa Parks Circle in Grand Rapids. And uh, man, we had a ton of thousands of people there. That one was amazing. That, was too. Yep. Um, that one I want to say was also cold and gloomy. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was a little bit better, I think, but it was still, slightly. you know, it still wasn't the summer that that you're experiencing right. down in Florida on most days, most time of the year, right? Right, right. So, yeah, definitely interesting. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't throw up too that day. And <laughs> that would have yes. been uh, uh, as good of an outcome. But yeah, you rocked the speech that day. That was great. Uh, and one one comment too on the April 30th, you know, there's a lot of national attention and a lot of people that, you know, say negative things about all that. Uh, when we when when people went inside, right, that was all legal. That was all lawful. And the state police conducted that. Um, you know, yes, it got loud inside. And, you know, yes, leftists' heads blew up because, you know, firearms and stuff. But that was a 100 percent lawful event. So we did amazing uh, keeping things peaceful and, and lawful throughout all of it. You know, it's funny is that, you know, focusing on what's lawful and what's not. Um, I knew something was wrong and I knew it was unconstitutional. And so I was at the front of that line inside trying to get those uh, red coats or the Michigan State Police to think about their, their oath of office and what was right and what was wrong. And what I didn't know, because I even hadn't studied the Michigan Constitution enough to realize uh, and have this on the top of my head, but uh, Article 4, Section 20 of our Michigan State Constitution requires the doors of the legislature to remain open. So the people were perfectly lawful in their uh, pursuits that day. The legislature and all of those law enforcement officers were the ones that were not only violating st state law, they were violating the explicit one sentence simple words of our state constitution. So anyway uh just something i wanted to throw out there because if it ever happens again the people need to know so uh what i wanted to share with people real quick here is uh, a couple of a couple of things that come right from the michigan uh, 
Michigan.gov website. So uh, it says this, the Constitution of 1963 provided that the CEO, the chief executive officer, which is the governor, uh, and that the lieutenant governor would be elected every four years and that the executive branch can be grouped into no more than 20 administrative departments. The governor's chief responsibility is to enforce state laws and to maintain order. The governor submits a suggested legislative program and a proposed budget to the legislature and appoints certain officials to various state boards and commissions with the consent of the Senate. And in fact, this is said here that most state employees work in an, in the executive branch under a comprehensive civil service plan. And that's going to be uh, something of interest in just a minute. Um, so it talks about um, how certain races are selected in certain ways. So, for example, uh, in addition to the governor and lieutenant governor, Michigan's voters select, excuse me, elect two other executive branch officials statewide. That's the secretary of state and attorney general. Um, but the <laughs> secretary of state and attorney general, those candidates for the parties were already selected at the um at least for the Republican uh, primary uh, candidates, they are uh, they were selected at the state conventions, uh, which already happened. And um, so it's just the that the governor's race is um, that one's waiting for the the August primary. Mm -hmm. So uh, that August primary is big and uh, very important, and will play a huge role. Uh, going into the November election against um, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, also want to let people know if they want to kind of follow along with some of our discussion, the main portion that you want to look at in the Michigan State Constitution is Article 5. The Michigan Constitution is Article 5, the executive branch. Um, and I want to say... Um, you know, I don't even have it memorized anymore. Anyway, if you're in, I was going to tell everybody the, the Florida version and some other states, I don't have them memorized anymore as to which article, but it's highly likely that if you go to your own states, uh, if you just Google real quick while we're talking, you can go to your state um, and type in Florida constitution or California constitution or what have you. Um, you should easily be able to find the executive branch and it would likely have its own article in the state constitution. Uh, so real quick, and this is, again, for those of you watching and listening right now, Ryan has no idea what I'm going to ask him. So uh, let's be kind if he has to really think about it for a minute. But Ryan, I'm just wondering, uh, what do you think about executive orders? Is there, um, in, in general, I, I don't want to get too specific about things because I have, um, in fact, more detailed questions to ask you, but um, it's my my thought that uh, there's only one type of executive order that is talked about in our state constitution. I'm just wondering, do you happen to know what that kind of executive order is or what it would do? Um, kind of is. I'm not sure what you, how you mean by that, but uh, executive orders are meant to carry out laws with inside the government. Um, they're not made to tell people uh, how to operate. It's not a, uh, um, like what Gretchen Whitmer did all throughout 2020, um, telling the state how they're going to operate. So, you know, executive orders are designed to carry out, <clears throat> carry out laws with inside of the government to direct the government and how to operate. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who want to follow along with the constitution, um, 
Article 5, Section 2 of our state constitution has that part that, that gives the, the specific authority for the governor to change the order, the organization uh, within the executive branch. And it's through a certain process. It's not just willy-nilly, but it's by executive order, which must follow a certain process, including uh, having the legislature have the opportunity to disapprove of those changes. But that is the only time the Constitution allows the governor to issue these kinds of executive orders that have any kind of huge legal impact or great weight. So, um, Ryan, you get a, an A-plus on that. That is... Um, uh, very important. You kind of hit the the more underlying matter about what you know the fact that executive orders are meant to address matters of uh, within the government rather than putting uh, new kinds of rules or regulations upon the people. Uh, so, another I'd say trick question, but it's not really. Um, what can you tell us about unenumerated rights? What comes to your mind when somebody says unenumerated rights? unenumerated rights like what's reserved for the people maybe yeah we're talking about like the things that aren't granted to the government right the, i know in the beginning you mentioned like the u.s constitution there's certain obligations that the federal government has the rest of the rights are for the states or for the people so yeah what's not granted or we'll say restrains the government from doing uh, infringing upon is reserved to the people which is basically everything else. I mean, the Constitution really squeezes the amount of authority the government has in the first place. So I guess before I kind of uh, follow up with the unenumerated rights, let me ask you, where do we get them from? Do we get our rights from uh, the government or the Constitution or the governor? Where do we get our rights from? Well, definitely not the governor, right? Uh, and we kind of answered that a minute ago, right? On August, um, April 30th of 2020, we were there standing for our God-given rights, not our government-given rights or our Gretchen-given rights. Uh, and, you know, and I've made the mistake before, too, by saying, you know, all oh, our constitutional rights. Well, we don't have constitutional rights. We have constitutionally protected rights, but we don't have constitutional rights. The Constitution doesn't grant us uh, any of those rights. They, they do come from God, and they cannot be infringed upon from by the government, uh, unless we allow the government to, unless you say, hey, you know, I'll sit down and shut up and I will abide by whatever you say. Uh, you can you can freely give up your freedoms, uh, but it's a lot harder to get them back after that. So for those of you who have the opportunity to um, vote in the primary in August in Michigan, which is basically anybody dead or alive right now with who's in charge of elections in Michigan. But anyway, that's a whole other story. So anyway, for those of you who are legitimate voters in Michigan for this August's primary, I would ask you to strongly consider the last 30 seconds of what Ryan just said. Um, I'm hoping to um, <clears throat> have the time to connect with some of the other uh, Republican candidates for the governor position in Michigan, or I'd be open to interviewing anybody in any statewide position, quite frankly, in any state, uh, to be able to help them flesh out their constitutional understanding of uh, various important issues so that you as a voter can understand uh, and, and know that position and then make an informed vote. But at any rate, I want you to think about Ryan's last answer there, that um, 
that, you know, sometimes we get caught in saying terms that are used quite frequently, like constitutional rights, but we need to remember that our rights are given to us by God and they're protected by the Constitution. And quite frankly, how many of the other Republican candidates, let alone the Democrat candidates, are uh, able to really make that distinction? And it's an important distinction, a very important one. Um, so something that I also, I guess, is to follow up with, um, Ryan, what you mentioned when I asked you about unenumerated rights, you kind of uh, answered that in terms of the context of uh, powers that are specifically given to the government to do or not do certain things uh, and the, um, the rights of the people um, for basically everything else. And, and something that didn't quite hit me as black and white uh, as it is until probably just recently, maybe even this weekend, uh, I was on a radio show that's, I guess it's a nationwide radio show, but the, the host is in California. And, uh, and we were talking about it for two hours this last Sunday night. And we were talking about, uh, he wanted to start with the 10th amendment. And I said, okay, well, I think we really need to start with the ninth amendment. And so he was like, ah, okay, I guess so. But he understood why as soon as we got the discussion started. And really the main point is a lot of people talk about the 10th amendment because it's the one that says very clearly, and I'm just going to read it word for word, the power is not delegated to the United States by the constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So that's about powers, powers given to the federal government, uh, powers given or prohibited to the states. And then in the end, the powers uh, are reserved to the people that are not specifically uh, utilized essentially by state or federal governments. But the Ninth Amendment comes before that, um, nine coming before 10 and all. And it is also very simple. And it says the enumeration in the constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And Michigan state constitution is article one, section 23, almost exact same language. I think there's a comma in a different place, but uh, it's essentially the exact same thing. And the important thing is there that in number nine, we're talking about rights, rights being retained by the people. And number 10, we're talking about powers because governments and government officials and government bodies don't ever have rights. Rights, like Ryan mentioned a minute ago, are given to us by God. They're given to us as people, as humans, as individuals by God. And that we can then in turn uh, decide to hand over certain powers, specific powers uh, written into our state or U.S. Constitution. But we can't give rights to um, a governor or an elective body or anything because our rights come from God. They don't come from us. So anyway, just uh, an important distinction uh, that, again, it's not that Ryan said something wrong. It's something I didn't even really, all the pieces on that didn't really click together for me until just this weekend myself, but something I want all of you guys to think about. So um, Ryan, would you agree that, I guess, is this true or false? I don't want to make it sound like a leading question, but the whole purpose of government, the main purpose of creating a civilized society and government is so that... Uh, we're able to come together and live as a community 
in a way where me exercising my God-given rights is not infringing upon your ability to exercise your God-given rights. Does that sound like that might be what the purpose of government is, or am I far off on that? I wouldn't say you're far off. That's uh, that's an outcome, I believe, in regard to what the purpose of government is. And uh, the, the very core foundation, the number one responsibility of government is to protect people's rights. And so that outcome would be like what you talked about. You living in your communities where you can exercise your rights freely uh, and then someone else doesn't infringe upon those rights. That's where you have crimes. That's where, you know, I believe the government has that power to step in protecting those rights. If, you know, if somebody steals from somebody else, right, you have the right to property, right? If someone steals your property, right, the government can come in and help to remedy that situation. That's part of what the judicial is about uh, in some regards. Uh, and so there, there are certain certain responsibilities there for the government, and that's the number one thing is them them to protect our rights. And yes, we have our U.S. Constitution, we have our state constitution, which mirrors some of those things. But another powerful part of this constitution, or the federal, is that it states in Article Six, Section Two, that this constitution is the supreme law of the land. And anything in any of the state constitutions that are to the contrary are notwithstanding. So even the states have to say, well, we can't go above and beyond. We can't infringe upon X, Y, Z, A, B, C, whatever it is, because this this blocks that saying that this is number one. And then you guys can go ahead under the, you know, the Tenth Amendment to put whatever other powers in place as long as they don't infringe upon these uh, specific you know, Bill of Rights and the other components of the U.S. Constitution. And that is a perfect segue for another question, but I want to get this um, maybe more boring question, uh, logistical question out of the way first. So I want everyone to remember what Ryan was just talking about with the supreme law of the land and what things can be in the state constitutions. But um, so Ryan, currently, um, <clears throat> according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, uh, Michigan has 4,059,670 state employees, if you can imagine that. Michigan has roughly 10 million people that live there, but somehow <clears throat> the state employs in some way, shape, or form over 4 million people. Um, according to the Michigan.gov statistics, um, there are 46, almost 47,000 active classified um, employees and 94% uh, of them, over 94% of them. So over 44,000 people uh, are employed full-time with permanent positions being paid by and working for the state of Michigan, 44,000. So with that being said, um, Article 5, Section 21 of our state constitution uh, mentions that the offices of governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, and attorney general, those are the state elective executive officers, the only ones named for the executive branch on a state level. Article 5, Section 2 mentions that all executive and administrative offices, agencies, and instrumentalities, so no matter what kind of name somebody wants to use, uh, any kind of body that works for the executive branch um, cannot have or shall not total 
uh, more than 20 principal departments. Um, also in that same part, Article 5, Section 2 of our state constitution, all executive and administrative offices, agencies, and instrumentalities of the executive branch shall be grouped as far as practicable according to major purposes. Now, Ryan, do you happen to know, I mean, it seems like it can change every five minutes, but do you happen to know off the top of your head how many principal departments we have currently in the state of Michigan? I think we have 16. Um, I'll have to double check and look. I have it printed out on my desk sitting over there somewhere. Um, I do keep the Article 5 printed out and read through this because that's a huge responsibility of the governor. I think it's 16. It's not quite 20, I don't believe. Um, yeah, you're close. I think it's kind of a trick question in my mind because um, there's 19, but if you don't count the actual office of uh, the executive office of governor, the department of attorney general and, and the department of secretary of state um, in that, then you have 16. Yeah, so that's where I got. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So um, some of these and, and more so I'm going to tell these to um, our viewers today, because it's important to think about this, think about this insane list and keep in mind all of these departments, this is what totals more than 4 million employees where the state is employing, uh, is saying that, oh, well, if we call them only this kind of, you know, employee and, and say they're full-time and it's permanent or whatever, uh, then we can say that we only have, you know, 44,000 of these. No, it, it is actually 4 million employees employed by the state of Michigan uh, through the executive branch um, that, um, let me see here. These departments that are supposed to be grouped together, no more than 20 departments by constitution uh, and grouped together by topic. We have agriculture and rural development, attorney general, civil rights, civil service commission, department of corrections, executive office of governor, Department of Education, Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Insurance and Financial Services, Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity. If you're listening to this laundry list and you're starting to glaze over, uh, whoever is in the position of governor is in control of all of these departments. So hang in there and listen to this list so Ryan and I can discuss it. Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, Department of Natural Resources, Department of State, uh, Department of Michigan State Police, Department of Technology, Management and Budget, Department of Transportation, Department of Treasury. I don't know about you, but when I see this list and you can go to, um, I'm going to give people, let's see here. Okay. Um, this is the, I have to go to that page. Yep. Give me a second here. Okay. So uh, if you go to the page where it talks about the executive branch, this is just michigan.gov. You can go to state of Michigan, click on government, branches of government, and the executive branch. It gives those two paragraphs we talked about earlier. And then you start scrolling and it's got all of these departments. Now for each of them, it also has on here um, the EOG organization or the MDOC organization. So in other words, if you click on one, it's going to show you the organizational chart of that specific office. Um, so even more layers of government. It's kind of insane. So um, anyway, 
getting back to what we're talking about here. Uh, Ryan, I'm just wondering um, if you hear, and, and, and I, this isn't something you know, anybody should hold Ryan to on specifics, right? Because there's so many things to consider uh, when running an entire state as the chief executive officer. But uh, Ryan, when I hear things like uh, Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, but then we also have a Department of Natural Resources, if there were to be those two departments, I would think that the overarching topic might be something that should be rolled into one because a lot of what's happening in your natural resources has overlap or rules or regulations that affect agriculture, for example, um, or rural development issues. Um, or let's look at, for example, Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity. Okay. I can kind of see that we might need that. But then we also have um, Department of Insurance and Financial Services. Wait, Financial Services, that doesn't relate to economic opportunity. Or Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs. That has nothing to do with businesses and, and labor. Um, <laughs> anyway, Department of Treasury. So we have a Department of Financial Services and a Department of Treasury. What the heck does the Department of Treasury do if they don't deal with our state's finances? <laughs> so anyway, my question to you, Ryan, is um, have you thought about how many different departments you might have if you were to uh, win the election, become Michigan's next governor, and have that opportunity under Article 5, Section 2 of our state constitution to utilize an executive order to reorganize uh, which departments are in existence under the executive branch. Have you thought about that at all? I have. Um, in the executive reorganization orders that you're talking about, um, you know, you, you look at, so in 1965, there was a, um, the, uh, I forget what the, um, what the, the code is for it, but uh, they laid out all of the different departments there, right? And so you have all of those listed there from that, that law from 1965, which created all of those things. And really, the legislature delegated so much authority away from the legislature into the executive branch, right? And so now we have this bloated executive branch. And then you brought up a great, you know, a great point. You have the Department of Insurance and Finances, and then you have the Department of Treasury, Right. And, and where's the overlap on those things? And really, you know, when you look at like Laura on top of that, all these different agencies charge people fines and fees and they have their own red tape that, that they use to continuously make it difficult to do business in the state of Michigan. Uh, they make it uh, less appealing for people to want to move to Michigan. And so there has been some thought in regard to how do those things consolidate? How do you best utilize uh, you know, the resources of the state. Now, I want to segue just a little tiny bit here with some of this and, and kind of put in uh, some thoughts here that, that directly relate to the consolidation being an outcome. And that is the federal dollars that plague our state. A majority of our budget is made up of federal dollars. So, for example, the Department of Education is funded to the tune of 94% by federal dollars which allows the federal government to control that agency. Now the school aid fund mostly comes from state dollars, but the Department of Education is directing how to use that money throughout our whole school system. So as governor, I will not sign a budget that has any federal dollars attached to the Department of Education. 
pulling our state off of those federal dollars will force us to say for the, all those departments, all of those employees, what is truly needed in order to represent how our government should operate? What is truly needed with a much more limited budget in order to provide the same or better quality service to the people, reduce those fines and fees, get rid of the unnecessary agencies so that people say, hey, I want to move my business to Michigan. I want to move my family to Michigan. And so I think kind of all of that is intertwined together in some component, uh, but reducing those federal dollars uh, will, will ultimately lead to those executive reorganization orders to best utilize all of those different agencies for their for their true intended purposes versus a fines and fees organization based in Lansing. Okay, so if I heard you correctly, you hadn't necessarily thought about which specific ones would be eliminated, but it would be your goal to drastically reduce the number of departments we have in the state of Michigan. Is that correct? Um, so there, there's a component of that that works with the legislature as well, because those have been created. So a, a law is going to have to pass to remove some of those different agencies. Now, um, no reorganization orders to reorganize them. Yes. But and that, that includes that you don't need the legislature to pass a law. In fact, article two, section, article five, section two of our state constitution says that however you choose to reorganize, if you're going to consolidate um, the functions of one uh, department within another or, you know, within one particular person. For example, if you believed that the um, office of uh, the Department of Civil Rights um, is a uh, um, is a function that really should be handled within the office of the Department of Attorney General, that the Attorney General should be handling any issues where civil rights issues come up. Um, then you could essentially get rid of that whole office and uh, move those functions over into the Department of the Attorney General. Um, and if you issue one of those executive orders doing that, then the, um, um, the legislature, you have to submit your executive order to the legislature. And I want to say it's 60 days that they have to decide if they're going to disapprove. Are you okay? Yeah, that's, that's correct. What you said, okay. the, the two months. Yep. Yeah. So they would have to um, they would have to actively disapprove of your changes um, by a majority vote. They wouldn't be able to. It's not that you'd have to meet um, a burden of uh, getting a majority of them to actively support and accept your changes. So if they chose to do nothing about it, if they couldn't bring in, get enough support to bring it to a vote to disapprove, then your changes would stand. So it's a little, it's actually the only thing that I off the top of my head can realize or, or think about that in our state constitution that allows the process to work that way, where they, they only have the, the option of disapproving your changes. So anyway, I just wanted to give you that because it's a lot more power. You're empowered a lot more to reduce the size of government uh, as you see fit. Uh, if you get into that office of governor, specifically governor, no other office has quite that amount of power. Um, with your screen, your screen keeps going black. Are you, uh, are you all good, Ryan? Can you hear us? Okay. Sorry. Can, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Sorry. I went to another tab. I was looking at another tab. It's act. Uh, I'm going to look at it one more time. 
it's Act 380 of 1965 is the one that I was talking about. I'll read that again because maybe I misinterpreted no, I don't know what that act says. It's been many years since I've read it. I'm just telling you that the state constitution overrides whatever that act says and whatever the functions were or the departments were that were created in 1965 under the executive branch. Many governors, including Gretchen Whitmer, have changed the structure of the state government with different departments ever since then. So the fun the structure we see it as as it exists now in 2022 is not the same as it was in in um, 1965 when it was initially put into place. And, and I'm not sure why that it was initially put into the state uh, constitution to have the legislature create those departments and then have the governor, um, you know, give the governor the option of changing those departments afterwards. It's my guess is because it was a transition since we were doing a whole new constitution, essentially, at a, a, a constitutional convention for the state of Michigan. So at any rate, um, regardless of what the law says, the constitution controls, and you have the option of reordering any of that however you see fit. Uh, so don't let the legislature slap you around and tell you what to do if you win uh, election for governor, because you actually do have the power there. Um, so speaking of the legislature and some initiatives and different things like that, um, as you know, um, because uh, if I recall correctly, you actually were an active supporter in the Restore Freedom Constitutional uh, Amendment Petition Initiative, uh, which was the one that I wrote. Um, but the we've had a lot in Michigan, uh, a, a lot of these. Mine was the first introduced and circulated in Michigan to try to address these greater freedom fighting issues. There have been many since then, uh, some good, some bad. Um, I'm sure you're well aware that the uh, Stand Up Michigan group is now pushing the Unlock 2 petition. Uh, and just for those of you who are not aware of what the Unlock 2 petition does, what they're saying is that um, since October 2nd of 2020, when the Michigan Supreme Court said the governor could no longer issue executive orders because she was violating the 1976 EMA and uh, the other one, the 1945 EPGA was entirely unconstitutional. Uh, they then went to the public health code uh, to be able to issue orders through MDHHS or the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. These orders are doing the exact same thing that she was doing to us before under the different law. And it's the very point I argued in the Michigan Supreme Court, but they chose not to take that issue up and let the, the topic fester. But anyway, so in the Unlock 2 petition, they're um, not wanting to repeal that part of the state law. They're trying to change it so that uh, the Department of Health and Human Services director at the state level um, or at the local level, that either one of them could issue these EOs, these emergency orders that control every aspect of your lives, uh, prohibit you from gathering for any purpose, that's literally in the statute language, uh, that they can do that for at least 28 days without any kind of other input from anyone. And as long as the legislative body involved, um, your local uh, city council or your county um, board or the state legislature, if it's a statewide type of thing, um, those bodies can vote to keep extending those EOs 
which will tell you where you can shop, when you can shop, where you can work, whose job is essential, if your business can be open, if there's a, a curfew across the state, if you all have to take, um, you know, um, mandated whatever, anything, injections or, or masks or social distancing or any of it, all of it, microchipping, you name it. Um, all of that can be done for at least 28 days under this Unlock 2 petition. Ryan, what are your thoughts about this Unlock 2 petition? I, you know, I made a statement. The day that I read the language, everybody was asking me all these questions. How do you feel about How do you feel about it? I said, I haven't read the language yet. And then the day that the language came out, I read through it and wrote a statement uh, right away opposing it. And I did a video opposing it. Uh, for the very things that you're saying, number one, it should have been repealed, right? The Most of the public health code should be repealed anyway. Uh, a lot of it's unconstitutional. Um, the, the, the authority that was given to the health department is, is um, it's ridiculous, the, the amount of power that they really have if you look at it, because that's not the only code that gives them some very strong authority that they don't have in the first place. But, you know, the unlock too, yeah, it, it allows, you know, the violation of the, the Constitution uh, the God-given rights uh, based on a perceived or real emergency, which even in a real emergency, right? You give the best information that you can and you allow people to make those decisions for themselves, the individual risk assessment. Uh, and then again, you know, the, the Unlock 2 drags in local health departments. It allows them to continue and perpetuate it forever. So it's, it's worse than what we have now, right? I, it makes things worse. They say, oh, it puts a time frame on it of 28 days. No, it allows perpetuation if the legislature, which, you know, God forbid, we have the day where we have a blue uh, blue legislature uh, or if these, you know, these blue counties or blue townships, it just says local governing units. I mean, it could be your HOA president if you want to. I mean, how far does it go, right? And it allows them to con uh, continue that on. And so I opposed it. I said, it's garbage. Don't sign it. Uh, and this, this should not be the law. And the, the pushback I got as well, you know, it's, it's a bite, it's a bite, it's a step in the right direction. You know, that's what the left does. They they always take these small little bites and they continue on down the road. You know, uh, if we have an opportunity for bypassing the governor's signature and actually fixing it, why wouldn't we fix it? You know, I was, they, they tried to sell me on, well, you know, when we get a good governor in there, we can actually fix it the right way. You don't need the governor's signature on this. Fix it, repeal the whole thing. It's gone. Have the legislature sign that. If they won't sign it for a citizen's petition, they're not going to sign it for a governor as well to send it their desk. Right. Exactly. So let me ask you about this. Have you heard about the Iron Pig case? I have. Uh, and I got a fun story there, too. But go ahead. Um, so, uh, man, I can't believe it's already almost one o'clock. So real quick, I want to ask you, um, so it's not so much the governor's office, but it's MDHHS, which is, of course, one of the departments within the executive branch. Uh, um, and they are one of the main parties in the Iron Pig case. They are fighting and claiming that the EOs that the MDHHS or local MDHHS offices have issued are... Uh, they're constitutional, they're legal, and they're needed. And so they're trying to fight to keep these EOs, whereas Iron Pig, uh, the restaurant that's being, um, you know, 
charged and prosecuted and, and whatnot, shut down uh, because of those EOs, uh, they're fighting back and saying, no, they're not, they're not constitutional for the same reason that the 1945 law was not constitutional. And the trial court um, agreed and said, yep, it's, it's not constitutional. Unfortunately, they didn't go quite far enough and say all the reasons why, like, I don't know, because the government doesn't have a right to do that to us, no matter what branch they're in, but regardless, what would you do if you are elected into the office of Michigan's governor and MDHHS is underneath you, what would you do when that case is still pending? And it will still be pending uh, by the time that election is over. What would you do about that case? I would be happy to, to cancel it, right? We're, we're done with it, no more. Um, and uh, the, you know, it, it is unconstitutional, right? And so, you know, I, there's no way that I would fund anything as governor that would allow that case to continue to fight against the iron pig. Um, so we withdraw um, and, and we, we work with inside the, the DHHS uh, to get rid of a lot of these, these regulations, work with the legislature to uh, get rid of a lot of these unconstitutional delegation of authority to the MDHHS. Uh, I will take much more, um, uh, what's the, I don't want to use the, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'm going to gauge my success more on removing a lot of this unconstitutionality than trying to implement new laws all the time. There's plenty of laws on the book that need to go away. Okay. So you want to um, take the public stance that MDHHS is not going to keep pursuing any kind of punishments against businesses who are so-called violating these EOs then? Is that? Absolutely. Yes. The okay. government will, will quit waging unconstitutional war on its on the people of Michigan under Governor Kelly. Absolutely. So um, another question, um, different kind of topic, but uh, Article 5, Section 8 of our state constitution says um, it's called court enforcement of constitutional or legislative mandate. The governor may initiate court proceedings in the name of the state to enforce compliance with any constitutional or legislative mandate or to restrain violations of any constitutional or legislative power, duty, or right by any officer, department, or agency of the state or any of its political subdivisions. So, in other words, the governor can bring a lawsuit against any other government official in Michigan who is violating the Michigan constitution in some way, or even Michigan state law. So Gretchen Whitmer utilized this when she filed this lawsuit against the 13 uh, prosecuting attorneys across Michigan, including the Kent County prosecuting attorney. Um, she picked those counties because those are the counties are those those counties are where um, the um, Michigan's uh, abortion clinics are located, and she filed lawsuit against those those uh, prosecuting attorneys because Michigan law still has on the books uh, a criminal abortion statute, making uh, it a crime to um, essentially um, provide an abortion. Uh, with certain specifics. And so she's trying to sue the prosecutors so they're never able to enforce that statute and um, to have the court declare that Michigan has a right to an abortion for women 
right in the Michigan State Constitution. So what are your thoughts about that case? What would you do with it? You know, we would dismiss that case as well. Um, I'm, I'm pro-life. I actually put out a statement just a little while ago saying that as governor, we will declare May pro-life month. Um, and that's the same month as Mother's Day, right? Celebrate motherhood and celebrate, uh, you know, celebrate life. Uh, I would declare the second week of May uh, pro-life week in our K through 12 schools uh, so that we can aim to change the culture of individuals respecting life uh, and respecting that the science and data shows that a new life, a new body and a brand new strand of DNA starts at conception. Uh, you know, the left all throughout 2020 talked about science and data. So that's the science and data. We would dismiss all of those cases uh, and then we'll defund uh, the, the abortion clinics across the state of Michigan. And again, those all come from federal dollars as well. Okay. So do you think that Gretchen has anything to the argument that the, the Michigan state constitution um, protects the woman's right to an abortion? Do I think she does? I'm sorry. Can you clarify? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there is something in the Michigan Constitution as it stands that'll, that protects a woman's right to an abortion? Mm. Mm. Thinking, thinking. Um. <clears throat> Her claim is it's under due process and equal protection. That that law was enacted in a sexist manner because women are supposed to stay at home and be uh, housewives well, and be subservient, yada yada. They, so that's they, they don't get to talk about you know they don't get to talk about uh, women's rights because they don't know what women are. Their party doesn't know how to define a woman, right? So they don't get to play that card. Number one, uh, number two. If we're talking about equal protection, and then you want to talk about you know being able to terminate another human's life. Um, Sounds like there's not much of an equal protection there. So, no, I don't. I think that's a weak argument. I think it's a last-ditch effort, as Roe versus Wade is uh, most likely going to be overturned, uh, that they're scrambling to try to do whatever they can. But really, the Declaration of Independence gives us that unalienable right uh, from God, unalienable, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and so, as a country and as a state, if we're terminating that very first statement of what this country was founded on in regards to our rights of, of the life, and here's the thing too, is that the science and data shows that that new life begins at conception. So the argument turns into something totally different, um, and and we just, you know, we have to continue to push on that because they love talking about science and data. Number one, but. Uh, no, I think her argument's weak. I think it's weak. We would dismiss all the cases going after those county prosecutors. So um, we have a comment on Facebook by someone who's saying that uh, it's a woman's right to choose whether to get an abortion or not, period. So I'm going to just give a quick interjection that I have a much more full discussion that we did, I, I want to say last week or the week before, uh, maybe three weeks ago now, on this issue when this case was filed. But um, our rights that are protected by the Constitution are rights that are given to us by God. In fact, um, uh, let's see. I'm going to go off the top of my head. I don't have it with me uh, in front of me, but oh, actually I do. Give me a second. The Michigan State Constitution. Um, let's see here. Okay. So in the Michigan State Constitution, the whole government was created in Michigan. 
with this in mind. This is the preamble to the Michigan State Constitution. We, the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution. Uh, and likewise, in the U.S. Constitution, the preamble says, um, among other things, but I'm um, just uh, including the, the relevant portions for this purpose, we the people of the United States, in order to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution. We're creating government to secure the blessings that are given to us by God, the, the rights that are given to us by God, our individual liberties. And among those are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and property, depending on which documents that you're referencing for context. And no matter what you look at, due process, both in the Fifth Amendment and in the Fourteenth Amendment, guarantees, and which um, is also in the Michigan State Constitution, um, I don't remember exactly which one it is, but um, anyway, I, I've quoted it many times before. But the due process clause is the same in the Michigan State Constitution that no person can be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so Ryan hit the nail on the head when he was talking about it in terms of the equal protection argument that the laws are not equally protecting the unborn children and the mothers. They are set up to, or they're being enforced to protect these so-called rights for women with, without acknowledging at all the right to children to be able to live. And you can't have freedom and you can't have liberty if you don't first have life. So for those of you who don't understand that or who want to take God out of the equation, literally our government and all the, the, the roles and functions and restrictions and rights that are talked about and, and discussed in either the state or Michigan, uh, the Michigan state or the U.S. constitutions, those rights come from God. And it's acknowledged right in those documents. So at any rate, um, just wanted to point that out for some of the people that were uh, thinking perhaps that it's, it's um, a political answer that you were giving, Ryan, that that is actually the stance of, of truth <laughs> of the Constitution and um, certainly of, of what God's word would be on the issue. Um, so uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm assuming you might know this, but um, do you think it's uh, true or is it false that, um, I guess, let me, let me word it this way. Is it only the elected officials that, you know, you know, the ones that deal with the public and, and whatnot at county or state or city levels that have to take a constitutional oath, which would be um, Article uh, 11, Section 1 of our state constitution, that oath? Or is it every single person that works for government, even uh, school bus drivers or janitors or uh, even volunteers doing things um, for government, you know, government offices? Uh, which people in, in the context of government are required to take that constitutional oath? The law actually states 
all people in service of the government. And that goes for anybody that's in service of the government. It could be uh, the guy that moves the traffic cones around on a road construction project that was contracted by the state government. Technically, that road cone mover guy is supposed to take an oath of office. Uh, every single person that's in service of the state to some capacity, big or small. Um, and on that note, I'm just going to share with you here. County health officers, oath of offices. Uh, we FOIA'd all of these different places. Um, 83 counties to be exact. Most of them, almost all of them, do not have their health officers taking an oath of office. And we have an attorney general that refuses to enforce that because the law also states that if you haven't taken your oath of office within 60 days, I forget what the number is, but that's- No, nope, before you take office. You have to take the oath before, before you take office. So so then, then that office is vacated, right? Then then that, that person is gone. They're just, it's, it's a vacant office. Uh, and the attorney general refuses to do any of that. So we brought all that up. And um, yeah, so everybody's got to take that oath. Everybody to defend and uphold the constitution. Uh, but that's not being done at the state or federal level. I mean- if you look at Article One, Section Eight of the U.S. Constitution, I mean, it lays out what the government, the federal government, is supposed to do. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is is not on that list, right? Um, you know, the the list goes on and on of things that that continue to plague our state and our in our country. Uh, so let me ask you this, Ryan. Then, so we're talking about all these because um, this question came up again on uh, Sunday in my discussion on that radio show. People were asking, well, what happens when you have people that are violating their oath of office or not taking the oath of office? If you have somebody that is just blatantly violating their oath, overstepping their the bounds of their authority or denying rights, etc. Uh, if it's someone that is under the, the control of the executive uh, branch of, of our state government, what would you do? Let me ask you this. Would it be fair to say that if somebody is blatantly violating the state or U.S. Constitution, that you would be uh, strongly considering to immediate re immediately releasing them from their post if you have that within your control? Immediate termination is, is an option. I think there's there's training that goes along with it too. So as you know, as a leader, uh, you look at it as is, is there a training opportunity versus you know. It depends on what they're doing, too. I mean, there's various levels of, you know, uh, whatever actions they take. So you, you may look at some things as a training opportunity to say, hey, look, you know, that's not how things go. Right. You know, moving forward, you know, these don't happen. You have to work with inside these scopes. Maybe the person's actions are corrected and they go along the way and, and you have no more issues. But, you know, repeat uh, offenders or individuals that do something that is, uh, I don't know, maybe like limiting assembly, right, to to a whole bunch of people, which is a constitutionally protected right in the federal constitution and in the state constitution, uh, which is why we went to a, with a case to the DOJ and the FBI of, you know, Gretchen Whitmer's violations of the federal, the state constitution, uh, you know, U.S. code uh, to try to get her held accountable. Um, and it's funny to see her talking now about, oh, you know, we have to protect my constituents rights that are constitutionally protected. I'm like, give me a break lady. Like, you know, yeah. but, you know, it's, it's with these, with these elitist politicians, these corrupt politicians that are in it for self-service, they don't understand God, 
Uh, our rights come from God, right? They're not in it to protect people's rights. They're in it for all of the departments and the corruption with the money and all this other stuff. And, and, and I'm sick of that stuff. I'm sick of the nonsense. You're sick of it. So many other people are, which is why I'm putting all the time and effort in uh, to do what I do um, over these last 15 months in order to spread the word of what I got going on. And, you know, I'm not chasing special interest money. I haven't received any special interest money. I haven't raised near as much as some of the other candidates. But if I get in there by not following the same corruption that gets us there, then I can make some of these executive reorganization orders like we're talking about. And I don't owe anyone anything. And, and we can really talk about removing some of those federal dollars from our state budget and get back to a government that actually protects the rights of the people and provides a, a playing field for prosperity, which is really what the state government should be doing. Protect the people's rights and, and have an economic tax policy that incentivizes businesses and personal growth so that people flourish and the government stays inside its little box that it's supposed to fit in in the first place. So real quick, if you want to provide training and education to anybody in uh, state or local government at all uh, on the Constitution, don't forget my phone number, Ryan, because I would be more than happy to travel around the entire state, all the way up in the UP where I was born or downstate where I li lived for most of my life. Uh, but anyway, so uh, don't forget that. But follow up to, you know, I asked you about if you would be strongly considering terminating people that were, you know, intentionally or, or uh, egregiously violating the state or federal constitution. Um, I would suggest to you that if somebody's not within your purview of being able to hire or fire or anything like that, that you could um, do several things, but among them, you could file one of these very types of lawsuits like Gretchen just did, which I think was article five, section eight, uh, yeah. that allows you to bring any government officer into court to stop that um, egregious constitutional violation. So, Please remember that. It's a very underused provision of the state constitution. Very good. Uh, so really quick, I'm just going to see what we have. We had some questions coming from others. Um, geez, I don't know. Um, Lori, um, man, you've been sending us a whole bunch. Uh, you've been, Lori's been keeping an eye on Rumble and Facebook and YouTube and there's where the comments are blowing up everywhere. So um, I'm not sure what would be best. Plus Lori had some other um, questions that she'd been getting from emails. Um, Lori, can you shoot out um, on one of the two comment uh, options here, private or otherwise, the maybe two or three best uh, questions that we could um, ask Ryan that are coming from, from, you know, listeners or, or viewers right now and yeah, i'm gonna get we're gonna grab a question or two that'd be good and then i gotta go it's it's 115 here but oh, while yeah. we're waiting for those questions to come across we'll go back to the uh the iron pig and uh you know they had that their liquor license was stripped away from them but they basically said yeah we're not playing that game and they came out there and put that uh that that flyer piece of paper on uh, on the window and they still didn't listen so anyways Here's uh, last weekend I was up in Gaylord. So here's a picture of me with um, uh, the gentleman there that owns the place. And then there's a little bit more of a close up of the actual license. And look at that cardboard Kelly has a place on his shelf now. 
if you want to go up there, you can go visit Cardboard Kelly and check out the liquor license. I'll be back up there again a couple of times this month. Um, and uh, including we're uh, going to be up there for that big festival, the uh, Risk It for the Brisket Festival. Man, Ryan, uh, she's she's uh, blowing us up with all kinds here. What um, if you go to the? Can you see the? Yeah, you can see the private chat. Um, maybe the last three, if you want to just look at those and pick one to to run with. Uh, do you support Michigan joining the convention of states in order to adopt amendments to establish of term limits for both Congress, House, and Senate? So I support an Article Five convention of the states, but here's the thing: is that, and I do support term limits on all of Congress. Right now, we have a federal government that doesn't follow the current Constitution. So what makes us think that you know we, we go in there for you know the uh, you know putting uh, whatever stipulations on government with new rules? The term limits things are good, but. I don't believe it's the right time to be doing an Article 5 convention. I believe it's time for people to step up and get into these offices to bring us back to constitutionality um, because the federal governments, you know, they're not following the current constitution. But I do support term limits uh, and a convention of states when the timing is right. I just don't believe it's the right time. What will Ryan do for 2A? Uh, so constitutional carry, I encourage you to go on to my website ryandkelly.com r-y-a-n-d-k-e-l-l-e-y.com you can see my 100-day plan there uh, on the 100-day plan is working to bring constitutional carry to the state of michigan i oppose cpl laws uh, i oppose pistol registration uh, and i oppose red flag laws the government tech attacks us on our rights to freedom speech um yes they do um i got let me ask you this one because it's come up a few times on it looks like on youtube um, somebody's wondering about your <laughs> ties to the Masonic Brotherhood. Could you clarify that for them? Yeah, I'm not a Mason. Um, <laughs> That's easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't worry. Be happy. What will Ryan do to expose and fight against child human trafficking? A lot of that comes down to uh, illegal immigration as well. And I fully oppose illegal immigration. I believe we need to uh, deport, not send to Washington, D.C., although that's a fun idea, but we need to deport and send illegal immigrants back to their country of origin. Um, you know, a lot of human trafficking comes in from that aspect. Uh, there, there will probably be something created in my administration to address uh, human trafficking. Um, uh, satanic ritual abuse victims, um, I don't know, I'm not going to really address anything with there. I, you know, I'm not sure on that, but uh, human trafficking is a big issue, um, and so we need to address the illegal immigration uh, and then put measures in place, whether through the state police or something, to uh, to specifically, um, you know, crack down on, on more of that happening with us being a border state to Canada uh, and, and just a lot of that coming through our state here via illegal immigration. So, uh, again, for those of you who... Um uh, would like to get more information about Ryan. Either you've heard what he has to say, uh, you want to support him in any way, volunteering or praying or uh, joining him at events or donating or anything like that. Uh, you can check out his website. Um, and that website again, Ryan? RyanDKelly.com. I can put it in the, well, I can only do private chat. I can't go to the comments, post it to everybody. Oh, Tammy put it on uh, Facebook. So I okay. In case somebody didn't put it on YouTube or Rumble, um, I'll ask Lori if she can go ahead and copy that and paste that on. But um, anyway, you guys can check that website out. Um, as far as Ryan, uh, I will just tell you guys this. 
Um, I have not interviewed all of the candidates, but um, I have done some significant research and or personally know several of the candidates. And Ryan, and I, let me put it this way, I didn't jump out and initially support Ryan uh, specifically for this office because I wanted to see who else was going to join the race. And I wanted to see how Ryan was going to develop on certain issues as he joined this political um, arena because he's not a politician. And oftentimes the best people, when they join into politics, they quickly turn into a slimy politician or they just get a little misguided or whatever the case is. But that is not what's happened with Ryan. And I am more than happy to throw my endorsement uh, behind Ryan and uh, tell you all that I wholeheartedly uh, support and want to see Ryan in office as Michigan's next governor. And I, in fact, have heard a lot of people say to me, no joke, grassroots leaders, people within the Michigan Republican Party and just all over the across the state say that if we don't win back those three big races, they're all going to join me down in Florida. So with that being said, I did, Ryan, I did tell Rachel Atwood that I'm going to have to start telling people to vote for Dana and Gretchen and uh, Benson because I want my friends no down, here. down in Florida. Right. But if you want to keep Michigan a wonderful state, then please consider supporting Ryan Kelly. Uh, so, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, one last thing, as far as interviewing other uh, candidates, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm open to interviewing any candidate from any party for any statewide race in any state. Um, if Garrett wanted to reach out, he's more than happy to do that. Or if any of the other ones wanted to reach out, I will be interviewing uh, Christina for the Secretary of State position in Michigan. She's the Republican nominee. Uh, that might be next week's show. I have to double check. But um, we have a bunch of other interviews as well. But uh, I didn't just talk to Ryan just because I want him to win and because I, I'm endorsing him. Uh, quite frankly, I wanted to see how today went to make sure that I, I had my pick right. And I do. Uh, I appreciate everything that Ryan has to say and how he is always willing to learn more about the Constitution because we grew up not being taught correctly uh, even if we were lucky enough to have parents that knew about the Constitution and had a, uh, a basis, um, a good Christian basis uh, for our upbringing, et cetera. So anyway, with that being said, please consider supporting Ryan and at least checking his website out. And um, looks like I typed it. How did I do that? Oh, anyway, apparently I typed your website on some stuff. <laughs> so it must have been Lori through my account somehow. But sure. anyway, um, Ryan, is there anything else that I forgot that you wanted to say before we signed off for today? Um, you know, I appreciate all the fight that you've put up through all of this. You know, we've from the very start been, you know, side by side at many different events uh, throughout this whole process. And so, you know, it's easy for people to step in when, you know, when the, the sailing is smooth, right? And, and to come in here with all the answers and, you know, the big fight in them and all that stuff. Uh, and that's not you. That, that's, you know, you've when when the waters were rough and the, the, the winds were high and the things were uncertain, you were in the midst of the fight. Um, and so I've always appreciated that about you. And, you know, your endorsement means a tremendous amount to me. So thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And, um, 
you know, if there's any other candidates that I can connect you with or whatever that you want to interview, I think I will encourage everybody to come down here and talk with you as well. Well, not come down, but, you know, you being yeah. in Florida, right? They don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm in Michigan. She's in Florida, right? You know, technology these days. But but to have yeah. a conversation with you, I, I, you're, you're, you're extremely knowledgeable. Um, and you're going to be, uh, I, I want you to continue to help consult me and to guide uh, the direction of us leading back to freedom. Absolutely. And whether you win or not, I know you and I can continue in that partnership because it's going to be all God's will and figure out a way to make uh, the freedom fight continue on regardless of the outcome of the race. But for those of you who are watching and listening, make sure you're doing your part to get Ryan into office. (laughs) So, all right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today. And thank you, Ryan, for joining. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again between now and August. So if you have a topic that's coming up that you want to let us know about, Ryan, um, let me know. Or uh, if you think there were, you get enough follow-up questions out of today, maybe we should do a, a secondary uh, interview just to answer them. Let me know. Yeah. I'm, I'm all, all. I'd be, I'd be willing to do that. If there's, you know, if people watch the reruns or whatever it is, you know, if more questions come up, Lori, if you, if you're keeping track of this stuff, you know, if there's enough for, and it's, you know, if it's enough to jump back on a show to have an in-depth conversation to answer some of these things, there's enough questions, uh, totally open for that. Okay. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Ryan. Uh, Have a wonderful day, Ryan, and have a wonderful day, everyone else. I will uh, see you guys for our other segments later on this week. Thanks, Catherine. Yep. See you, everybody.